Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. The King is coming. That's what they were announcing on Palm Sunday. Behold, the King comes. And by the way, this isn't my message, but may I say that our message as believers today is still the same as, as it was then. The King is coming. Now here they were announcing the king is coming into Jerusalem and they expected it was, it was going to die for their sins. We're waiting for his soon return. Uh, it's, a, it's a little different entrance there. He entered in on a colt and, and in the end times he'll come riding on a white horse, his conqueror. There he was that sacrificial lamb for your sins and for mine. But this morning on this Palm Sunday, we bring a message entitled, The King is Coming. And that is really what we celebrate and we just saw that there in in verse number 38, it says that Pastor Jay read, saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. And in this passage, we see here on, on the day that we're celebrating today, we see the king celebrated. This was a very exciting time. This was not, uh, as Jesus is coming in on that borrowed colt, this was not necessarily a time. Now, there were some enemies, but it was not a, an adversarial tone against him. He was being lauded by multitudes. You see it there in verse 37. When he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. This was a celebration. This was wonderful. Now that celebration is going to change here very quickly, but it was a celebration. A few years ago, our son, Lord bless us with five kids, our fourth uh, child, who's our third son, Trey. He's nine now. At that time, it was right when we first got here. I think he was probably four or five. And he had gone to the children's ministry on Palm Sunday. And I'm thankful for those that invest in our kids each and every week and training them from God's word and teaching them. And we were driving home from church, and it's not hard in our area to drive by palm trees. You see them just about everywhere. And we were driving home, and somebody, either Trey or someone else, pointed out and and said, there's a, a palm tree. And, and Trey said, hey, Dad, did you know that they, those are the leaves that they laid down before Jesus as he rode in to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives? I don't know if he said all of those things, but he at least said about the palm leaves. I don't know if he said into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. That might have been more detailed than they gave him at age four. But he said the palm leaves, they laid down in front of Jesus when he came in on the donkey. And my heart swelled with pride. My young son was listening in class. He was learning the Bible story, and I was thankful for those teaching. And, and then he said, and he said, Dad, did you know what they cried out to him? I said, what did they cry out, son? They cried out, Susanna, Susanna. And I said, son, well, I, didn't, I don't know if I correct him or not. I said, that's great, son. And then I thought, man, we got to get some new children's teachers. But um, if you study this, this account of, of the triumphal entry of Christ is found in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And last year, I believe, on Palm Sunday, we were in the, uh, Matthew's account. If you, some of the other accounts, they talk about the fact that they were celebrating as they were laying their clothes down and laying their, 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 the palm leaves down. It was a coronation of a king, and they were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. What is that word, Hosanna? That word refers to a rescue or to be saved 
or a savior. They were, they were saying, he's the one we've been waiting for. They were referring back to Psalm 118 and, and Christ fulfilling so many prophecies. And they're referring back to Psalm 118. This is the one we've been waiting for. The king celebrated. But even then, as he was being celebrated by the multitudes, not everybody was excited about God's work to redeem mankind. Do you see it there in verse number, uh, verse number 39? Luke, 20, uh, Luke 19, verse 39. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. Basically, they said, who do you think you are getting all this praise? Who do you think you are getting all this attention? You're just a carpenter's son from Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Who do you think you are throwing this big party for you? Master, rebuke thy disciples. You don't deserve that praise. And what does Jesus say in verse number 40? And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these, the disciples, should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. What does Jesus say? He says, I am worthy of any praise you can give me. I am worthy of all of this praise. And by the way, if I told them to stop praising, God would have the stones start crying out and praising me. I am the one you've been waiting for. I am the answer to all of your problems. I am the Messiah. That's what Jesus says here. The king celebrated and Jesus doesn't shy away from the praise that was given to him. Jesus telling the Pharisees, if the disciples didn't praise him, the rocks would cry out. May I just interject here? God will accomplish his will and his work with or without us. But I want to be a part of his work. He'll get praise if he has to from the rocks. And the, the heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, Pastor Jay talked about this on Wednesday night. You can't go in, out into nature very far without having the glory, the, the beauties of creation uh, glorify and praise the wonderful creating hand of our God. But I, wanna, I don't want the rocks to do my job. I want to be one of those giving him praise and giving him glory. And, and so we see on Palm Sunday, we see the king celebrated, but then we continue on where Pastor Jay left off in verse 41, and we see the king's compassion. Do you see it in verse 41? And when he was come near, he beheld the city, and what did he do, do church? He beheld the city and what? Wept over it. Wept over it. Verse 42, saying, Thou hast known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. You're so religious, but you can't even see right before you. He rides, I've been there on the Mount of Olives, and, and it's kind of a, a steep little uh, uh, incline there that you would he would be riding down, and they were riding in. You can see Jerusalem. You can see the temple right there from the top of the Mount of Olives. And as he rides into Jerusalem, there's this party atmosphere, but, but the party atmosphere from Jesus' heart doesn't last very long when he sees the multitudes that, that do not understand who he is. And we see Jesus' compassion. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter number 9, verse number 36, that when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. For they were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. When he saw, he saw their need, it moved him. And as they're celebrating the king, the king is weeping and saying, if you only knew who I was, I, if you only knew the answer I could bring to your life, and may I again just stop and say right here, I don't know why you're here in church today, and I don't know what you're looking for, but may I say to you, Jesus has what you need. But much like the Jews in Jerusalem, we're blind and we're looking for answers in all the wrong places. 
We're looking to find answers and all. And Jesus says, if you just understood who it was that was riding into your city and what I could do to change your life. Sometimes God's love in this world looks like judgment. Skip down to verse 45, if you will. He continues on and he gets to the temple in verse 45. And he went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold therein and them that bought, saying unto them, it is written, my house is the house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And he taught daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him and could not find what they might do for all the people were very attentive to hear him. Sometimes, sometimes we have a wrong view of who God is. Depending on your upbringing and maybe the church you've been a part of or, or just your own experiences in life or maybe your parents or whatever. Sometimes we view God as this angry grandfather with a lightning rod in his hand waiting to strike us dead with lightning the first time we get out of line. And that's not the God that we serve. And other times I fear, and, and I don't mean this irreverently, we, we almost view him as kind of just this, this out of touch kind of hippie God up in the sky that just whatever makes you happy, go do whatever makes you happy. And, 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 and we, we get confused. Our human minds, we can't figure that out. How, how could you be a loving and fully just and righteous and, and have mercy? And, and we sometimes view grace and truth as being at odds with one another. Grace, either I can be a gracious person or I can be a person of truth. And what does the Bible say of Jesus? He was full of what? Grace and truth. Didn't say he was perfectly mixed. He was full of both. He was full, the Bible says, he was full of grace and truth. And here God's compassion leads him to come and deal with some things. His compassion and his righteousness are not at odds. In fact, they go together, his compassion and his holiness. And we see in verse 47, it says, and he taught daily in the temple over the next couple of days, Jesus, and you can read it in chapters 20 and 21. We won't take the time today. I'd encourage you to read it this week. But over the next couple of days, this is Palm Sunday that we just read about him riding into town. He's being celebrated and, and then his compassion. And then over the next couple of days, he's going to teach. He's going to teach his disciples. He's going to answer questions. He's going to teach those that are his opponents. He's going to have what we call the Olivet Discourse. It's just him preaching there in the Mount of Olives and, and many amazing truths that are taught in this final week of Jesus' earthly life and ministry. And then we come, we come to chapter number 22. And if you would turn there, verse number seven, either in your Bibles or we'll put the verses on the screen as well, I'd like you to read these aloud with me. And I want you to see communion with the king. So Jesus rides in down the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. He weeps, he shows great compassion. He tells them, I, then he spends the next couple of days speaking and, and teaching. And then we come to what we know as the Last Supper, the final Passover. Chapter 22, verse number 7. Would you read through verse number 20 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover, that we may eat. And they said unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when ye are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you, bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. And ye shall say unto the good men of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished. There make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. 
And when the hour was come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. And he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not eat any more thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Here's where we're at. It is, it is the time for the feast of the Passover in Jerusalem. Jews coming from all different places to celebrate the annual feast, one of the highest holy days for them, this, this feast of the Passover. And, and in God's providence and, and in, in, in the Lord's wisdom, that final Passover lamb was going to be was going to be sacrificed there during the feast of the Passover. And, and they're here, and Jesus tells his disciples, he knows that his time is at hand. His hours on earth, his life on earth is down to hours of his earthly, earthly life. And he says to his disciples, it's Passover, guys, we need to go. They've grown up celebrating and recognizing the feast of the Passover, Jesus and his disciples, every, every year of their lives. It's Passover, we need to eat. And they say, well, where are we going to eat it? We got to get, he says, go get the Passover ready. Where are we going to do that? And by the way, you say, well, what is Passover all about? We're going to learn that tonight some more at the five o'clock service. We have that Messiah in the Passover service. I believe it'll be a, a very uh, encouraging and helpful time um, with the special ministry coming in there. But, but the Passover was an annual reminder of what God had done for them in their redemption from Egypt. You remember when they were in Egypt and, and the death of the firstborn, that, that final plague there to redeem, God wanted to redeem his children out of, his, of Egypt. And what did he need to redeem them? He needed the blood of a lamb applied to the doorposts. And those that applied the blood of the lamb to the doorpost, the death angel passed over their house and no one in their home died. And so this was the annual remembrance, looking back to Egypt when God, through the blood of a lamb, had saved us and redeemed us out of our bondage and brought us out to a place he had prepared for us, that is what Passover, and every year they're remembering that from Egypt. This is what time it is right now to remember. Well, guess what he's going to institute here with what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. It's a time where those of us look back to the cross of Calvary and we remember when God allowed the blood of a spotless lamb to be shed so that those of us that apply it to the doorposts of our hearts will see the death angel pass over us. We're redeemed from our bondage and we're, we're going to a place that he has prepared for us. That's what we find in the Passover and that's what they're celebrating and they've celebrated it for centuries. And Jesus now comes and we see communion with the king. Jesus knows his time is at hand. He tells them, I want to do this before I suffer. And he tells them, this is the last time I'm going to do this. This is the last time I'll be eating. And here's what's beautiful to me. Jesus knowing that it's his last hours on earth. How does he choose to spend it? He says, I want to commune with those who love me most and have chosen to follow me. With those that have given their lives to me. And I want to say on this Palm Sunday morning, don't ever get over the fact that the God of the universe wants to spend time with you. That God loves you. 
Jesus could have done anything, but he said, I want, he, he was the, the king, if you will. And he said, I want to have communion with those that have given their lives for me and that I'm giving my life for. And by the way, why did he institute communion into the church? It's not any different. God still wants to have personal communion with you. He said in the Bible, there's not a sparrow that falls from the sky that he doesn't know. How much more does he love you? He, the Bible says he knows the hairs that are in our head. He knows you as we heard sung. He loves you and he wants to spend time with you. Don't get over that fact. Not just four or five or six times a year at communion when we, when we take of these elements. God, he, he, he wants to hear you talk to him and he wants to, he wants to be that he is there with you. The Bible says he'll never leave you, but he wants to spend time with you. and He wants you to read his word and he wants to pray and he wants to show you his love. Don't ever get over the fact that the king is willing to, and not only willing to, wants to have communion with you in these sacred hours, these final hours of Christ's life. What did he do? He said, I want to share this with you. And then he told the church, continue this special time to draw close and to remember him in all that he has done for us, to remember his love and his sacrifice and his death and his payment for us. And so what we do, he instituted it here, there's nothing mystical, as I said, about baptism. There's nothing mystical or spooky about communion. And what Jesus did there, they had the unleavened bread. At the, they, you would always have unleavened bread at the Passover. And he broke that bread. And he said, this is my body. And I want you to, isn't it interesting? He hasn't yet died. And he says, this do in remembrance of me. He's foreshadowing what's about to take place. And he says, I want you, and then we see from Paul as he wrote the letters to the churches, Paul said to the churches, continue this. I want you to continue this time. Taking of this unleavened wafer and taking of this unfermented grape juice does not get you any closer to heaven. It doesn't forgive any sins. By the way, it, it should only be partaken of by those who are believers. Bible talks is to the church. And, 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 and the unleavened bread, it's a picture of his body being broken. Why no leaven? Well, in the Bible at times, leaven was a type of sin, a picture of spoiling. The leaven, the Bible says, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Well, you understand that if you ever make bread, you just put a little bit of yeast in there and it causes the whole loaf to rise. Well, the picture there was you get a little sin in your life and it affects your whole, your whole life. And so that picture of leaven, leavening the whole lump, well, Jesus had no leaven. The bread of life had no leaven, had no sin. And so as he breaks that, that element, what are we doing when we partake of that? We're remembering all that Christ has done. We're remembering his sacrifice. No, we're not getting closer to heaven. It's not, it's not saving us. It's not forgiving our sins. But it's just remembering, as they did at the Passover, remembering the redemption from Egypt. It is us remembering our redemption at Calvary. That, that, that Savior that came in on Palm Sunday, just a few short days would be enjoying communion, the final Passover with his disciples before he would then, he would leave that upper room. He would leave that upper room with his disciples and they would walk to, and I've been there where they believe the upper room was and I've seen the path. They would walk to where the, the Garden of Gethsemane where he would go to pray and his disciples would fall asleep on him. And he would sweat, he would sweat drops of blood as he agonized in, in prayer with his father getting ready and then it was there in that garden that Judas would come and would betray him 
And this last communion, literally, they ate this meal. They left the house. They went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And after they ate, they, they, they took a communion together. It, it set in motion the events that would lead to his death, burial, and resurrection. That which we celebrate next week on Resurrection Sunday. So this morning on Palm Sunday, as I mentioned, we, we do this several times. There's a clear layer on the top. There are two different things that open if, if you'll get the wafer. And on this Palm Sunday... There is there's nothing that is, again, spooky or magical, but what we're doing is we're saying, we're remembering what Christ has done for us, the fact that his body was broken for us. I'm going to have a word of prayer for this element, and then I'll ask Janine if she'll just play a chorus. And while she plays that chorus, I want you to take a few moments on this Palm Sunday and to think about the fact that God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus. And Jesus did not have his life taken from him. He laid down his life. It's one thing for somebody to take something from you forcefully. It's another thing to willingly give it. He willingly gave of himself so that you could know that heaven is your home. And if you're here today and you've never accepted the sacrifice and the payment of the death of Christ on the cross, I'd encourage you to make today the day of your salvation. Lord, I thank you for the truth of the matter that you did love us enough to have your body broken, to have your blood shed. I pray as we partake of this, that God, it would remind us of your love, of your sacrifice, that you are willing to humble yourself to death, even the death of the cross. May we take just a few moments here, dear God, and allow our minds to be recentered on that which matters most, to get clear out the busyness and the daily things of this world and to focus our attention on a Savior, that was celebrated as king, that showed great compassion, and then was willing to share communion in his final meal with his disciples. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And the Bible says this do in remembrance of me. Lord, as we prepare in just a moment to partake of the juice, I thank you, God, that there is no spoiling in that. There is no, that, that fermentation, a picture of spoiling the God in your blood that was shed for us, it was spotless. Lord, in the Old Testament, they had to annually, regularly, they had to atone for their sins because the, the blood that was shed of a firstborn spotless lamb was not enough to atone for all of their sins for all of eternity. But God at Calvary, the blood of a firstborn, first only begotten, spotless lamb, the lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world, God was shed once and for all. And we understand your word tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And God, we thank you that there was only one who could pay for our sins with their shed blood, and that was your son, Jesus. And we thank you that he went willingly. He gave his life. He didn't have it taken. He gave up the ghost. And God, we thank you that, that somebody told us about the love of Christ and it changed us. I pray that, God, we would never get over that truth. As we partake of communion, that we would remember the thorns that were beaten into our Savior's head that caused blood to drip down. The, 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 the Jesus, as he walked, having been scourged and whipped and beaten, as he fell beneath the load of that blood-stained cross on that Via Dolorosa. I pray that we wouldn't ever take lightly the love that has been shown to each one of us. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Your word tells us, God, and you showed us that greatest love. 
Help us to walk in that love, I pray in Jesus' name. And the Bible says regarding the shed blood of Christ, as he said there, you take also the cup. And this cup is the New Testament of my blood, which is shed for you this do in remembrance of me. And so in Luke 22, we see communion with the king. And I'm not going to take much time to continue through the passage, but I want to mention to you, after that communion with the king, what happened? I already told you, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane and Judas betrayed them. And you can go and read this week, Luke 23, what do we see? That king that was celebrated on Sunday, the king was crucified a few days later. The king crucified in Luke 23. And you stop to think about that, the creator crucified by his creation. The giver of all life had his life taken away by those he had given life to. What humility. The one that could have called 10,000 angels. And he allowed those he had given life to to take his own life. The Bible says he took upon himself the form of a servant. He humbled himself unto death even. He became obedient to death even. The death of the cross. Crucified on a tree that he created. Beaten by soldiers that he loved and died for. He was mocked with the voice and breath that he had graciously given to his captors. Betrayed by a disciple that he had loved and cared for and invested for three years. But it doesn't end there with that sad turn of events, the king being crucified. Oh no, the greatest turn of events in the history of the world is right around the corner in Luke 24. And it's what we celebrate next week. Spoiler alert, the king doesn't stay crucified. The king conquers death. And in preparation for next Sunday, I'm going to encourage you to read the following passages. We'll put them on the screen. These are the passages that give the account of Christ's final week on earth. It's interesting, in the four Gospels, there are 89 chapters that cover the 33 years of Christ's earthly life and ministry. His earthly life, 33 years. His earthly ministry, about three years. 89 chapters cover 33 years. Did you know that 30 of those 89, they cover the last week from Palm Sunday to Resurrection Sunday? I would imagine that the things that we're talking about today and next week, pretty important to the story of the history of mankind if 30 of the 89 chapters cover that one week of time. I want you to, I'm going to encourage you to immerse yourself in it this week. And what a glorious day it was when Jesus got up from his tomb, folded his grave clothes, rolled the stone away, and conquered death. Yes, he was celebrated. Yes, he had compassion. Yes, there was communion with the king and he was crucified. But then he conquered death. I'm going to invite you to stand with me and join me this morning as we sing about that glorious day. Think about who Christ is and all that he has done for you this Sunday morning as we sing about the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Savior. From Palm Sunday to Resurrection Sunday, the, the course of all human history was changed. Leave this week and go about your week studying and thinking about all that Christ has done for us. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.